We've entitled this morning's message, The Path to the Cross Begins. Would you turn just a couple of pages to something I said to you when we began the study of this book that we have redundantly drilled into you purposefully and we'll see a number of times before we're finished. But that is John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And even if you've got it memorized, let's look at it and see it together. Here John stated the purpose in the writing. And he said, therefore many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written. What has been written in this account has been written for this purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. From beginning to end, we do not want to forget that that is the purpose of everything that John has recorded in this account. It is so that we might understand that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and through believing and having faith, we might have eternal life. Earlier on in the Gospel according to John, we have been instructed as to the preexistence of Christ, the fact that before the world was, Jesus Christ was here. We have received instruction to date on his entrance, starting in the very first chapter of John, of his entrance into creation. That which he created, he entered into. We have been exposed in the early chapters of John to the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ while on earth as he entered into that creation. We have been exposed to some of his miracles. We have been exposed to some of his instruction publicly. We have been exposed to his life and his example as he lived on this earth as the Messiah. And then recently, from chapter 13 through chapter 17, we were exposed to a private time that the Lord Jesus Christ had with his disciples in which he observed the Passover, he ministered to and taught his apostles privately. And in that conversation, or in the course of that conversations, he has taught them that he is leaving, that he is going to the Father, that he will face death. He exposed them for just one moment. Turn with me to chapter 13. And let's go just look at a couple of quick verses. Chapter 13, verses 36 through 38. It is important to where we are going in the book. He has instructed them in that private discussion that Peter himself would deny the Lord Jesus Christ. For in verses 36 through 38, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot come. Follow me now. But you will follow me, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. 
And then remember these words, Jesus instructed him, or he answered him, you will lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. He's just taught him that. He has also taught them, move forward to chapter 16. He has also taught his apostles that all of them, every single one of them, would scatter. Chapter 16, verses 29 through 33. And we've expounded all of these passages to you. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using figures of speech. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you, but this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming and has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take courage, I have overcome the world. He's instructed them just recently as he's progressed in the very fact that they would all be scattered. Then after leaving the upper room in chapter 17, leading to our text in chapter 18, because we've had a couple of week gap here, we need to be reminded that he prayed, and he prayed on the way. And as he prayed, he prayed that God would glorify the Son, and in that, he would bring glory to the Father. He prayed specifically for his 12 apostles, that they would be kept by the Father, that they would be kept from Satan or the evil one, that they would be set apart by the word of God, left here in the world but sanctified by the world. And then he most recently spoke for all believers and prayed for them that they would be united even as Christ is united and that that, that un unity would be maintained. And that is what he's just left off with. And now as we pick it up in chapter 18, to just put that whole 17 chapters in perspective in three minutes or four minutes, whatever it was that I gave you, now in chapter 18, he begins the path to the betrayal. He begins the path to his arrest. He begins the path to his trials and his crucifixion and his death as we continue through the account by John. And I find it interesting as I was studying, for me personally, I found it interesting that he does not speak, he does not address in any way, shape, or form in detail Gethsemane. I would think he would have. I mean, it's a significant event on the way to the betrayal. It's a very significant event in the scriptures as recorded. Why does he not address it? Why does he not, uh, in fact, in our text, he doesn't even mention the word Gethsemane. You notice that. He just says he went over a ravine to the Kidron where there was a garden. That's it. John's done. That's all he says. He's left out a lot. Why? Why doesn't he concentrate on the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I believe what we just looked at is the reason. His consistency 
with his purpose. And what is that? His purpose is to concentrate on giving his understanding to, and I believe we will get a better appreciation for chapter 18 if we understand this. The others give the account of Gethsemane. He doesn't. Why? John's concentration is so that what he has recorded will show us that Jesus is the Messiah. So that it will show us that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing we would have life. That's his appeal to man. And very consistent with that, I believe his concentration in chapter 18, though we will, and for our purposes, look at Gethsemane, because chronologically it happens, and he does refer briefly to that area. The reason he doesn't concentrate on that is I believe we will see that his concentration is on this, that Jesus Christ is in absolute total control of everything that's happening. That's what he presents. He wants us to understand that even as he moves from their time with him to his betrayal, to his crucifixion, to his death, he is in absolute total control, and this is not an unfortunate, helpless victim of the Roman Empire nor even of the Jews. I believe that's what he's trying to present to us. And so this morning, we will look at that, and we will look at a little bit about Gethsemane as well, if time allows us. With the communion service, sometimes that's difficult. But I want you to see that's why the outline is the way it is, that Jesus Christ is in absolute, total control, and I believe that's what he's presenting here in his account in John chapter 18. Let's look at it. We begin in chapter 18, verse 1, and he starts off, he says, when Jesus had spoken these words, very simple statement, but you notice it is Jesus that's still talking as he's with his disciples. What does he mean when he says they spoke these words? Well, there's two possibilities, really, if we're open and honest about the passage. He could be referring to his conversation since chapter 13 all the way through chapter 17. That's a possibility. It's also a possibility that he's just referring to what he just said in chapter 17 when he says, when Jesus had spoken these words. <clears throat> it's really not emphasized, and we can't know for sure. It seems to me personally, if you want to know, that it just out of chapter 17 where he's just prayed for them, he's kind of referring back to that. He's done now, and he's spoken those words, and now he's going to say some other things. But I want you to see before I deal with chapter 18, and I'm going to go beyond that a little bit, that very clearly the Apostle John has been showing us that Jesus Christ is in absolute total control of everything that's going on. Absolute total control. Let's go through a few things that we've seen together. Go back with me to chapter 10 for a moment. Chapter 10 and verse 17. This is again why I am a firm believer in expositional teaching that I believe that you need to study the scriptures as they are given to us so that you understand the context, so you understand what is being presented. As we go back to chapter 10, and I will only highlight a few things here. Chapter 10, look at verses 17 and 18. He says, watch, for this reason the Father loves me, because, watch what he had already taught them, <clears throat> I lay 
down my life so that it may be taken again. No one has taken it away from me. You see that? He's already taught them this. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. So when we get to Gethsemane, when we get to the betrayal by Judas Iscariot, don't think for a moment, when we get to the armies that come in, when we get to the priest, that all of a sudden he's surprised. All of a sudden he's lost control. Not at all. He's laying down his life. Go with me to chapter 12, verse 27. Just a couple of verses as we progress to 18. Chapter 12, verse 27. Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Now notice what he says. Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came. That's what he says to this hour. It's for this very purpose that I came into the world. Everything that he's going to see, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, some still look at that today and say, why would anybody want to worship or why would anyone want to believe on somebody that was crucified? Roman Empire crucified many people. Well, there's a purpose in this one. This is Christ coming into the world, and that is where he is going to go, and that's what he came for, to die and pay the penalty and price for sin. Chapter 13, verse 33. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. He's in control, absolute control. He came for this purpose. He's going to lay down his life. They will seek him, but they cannot go. Look at chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. Look what he said to them. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I, watch this, for I go to prepare a place for you. He knew exactly what he was doing. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Why? That where I am, there you may be also. We just said that with the communion. So significant. We don't just, this isn't just to celebrate a death. It's to celebrate a risen Savior also who's going to come back. And he was in total control. And he showed them all along the way that this was the case. Look at verse 31 of chapter 14. Verse 31. He says, but so the world, watch this, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. And that's when he's progressing toward where we are in chapter 18. I'm going to do exactly what the Father wants. Total control. Chapter 15, look at verses 26 and 27. You see, it's been flowing all the way through with John. When the helper comes, watch this, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also, why? Because you have been with me from the beginning. He says he's going, and he says I'm going to send the spirit of God. He's in total control of his plan. Chapter 16, verses 5 through 7. We've studied this recently. But now I am going to him. This doesn't sound like somebody doesn't know what's going on. I am going to him who sent me, and none of you have asked me where are you going. 
But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, verse 7, watch this. It is to your advantage, remember that study? That I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, watch this, I will send him to you. It's absolutely progressive with the Apostle John. He's showing all along the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is in absolute total control. And then even in his prayer, before we get to chapter 18, look at chapter 17, verse 2. Even as you have, a watch, given him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. Jump down to verse 10. In verse 10 he says, And all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. Verse 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. Even as he was praying, he knew exactly where he was going. And now if you jump down to verse 24, just before the chapter we're in, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. Why? For you love me, watch this, before the foundation of the world. All the way through John's accounts. I want you to see it. It's vital. When we get to the betrayal, when we get to the trials which are in John, when we get to the crucifixion, if you and I look at that and we're just saying, oh, it's unfortunate, and look at all the pain and sorrow that he suffered with this, and that's all that we see, we have missed it. John, what he recorded was to help us to see that Jesus is the Christ. And he has consistently been presenting throughout the gospel that he knows where he's going, he's coming again, he's in total control, and the reason he's going to be betrayed, the reason he's going to die, the reason he's going to be raised from the dead is it's part of God's plan so that we can be with him. We talk about heaven. No one would be in heaven if Jesus Christ was not in total control of his plan and laid down his life willingly by himself. And if you think that's not going to continue, now we're in chapter 18. I want you to see it. It's so crucial. That's why I'm spending the time on it this morning before we progress from chapter 18 through chapter 19 through chapter 20. I want you to just see it. Look in chapter 18 now. Look at verse 4. You think he's in control? So Jesus, watch, knowing all the things that were coming upon him, he went forth. And what does he say to them? Who do you seek? Look at verse 6. So when they came for him, right, are they in control? Well, watch. So when they came to him, he said, I am he. And they draw back and they fall down on the ground. We'll study that. He's in control. His 600 soldiers coming after him. Oh, they got every control, right? No, not at all. He knew what was going to happen. You looking for me? I'm the one. I'm ready. And John is presenting that. Look at, again, verse 8. Jesus answered, I told you, I am he. So if you're seeking me, let them go their way. I'm the one you're after. Verse 11. Look at it ahead of time. So Jesus said to Peter, 
Put the sword into your sheath. The cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? Peter, you don't need that sword. I'm in control. I know exactly what's happening. This is all part of God's plan. This isn't unfortunate. This isn't someone being caught off guard. Look at verse 37 of chapter 18. Because we're going to see it. That's why I want you to see it right away at the beginning of the chapter. In verse 37, look at this. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Now he's before Pilate when we get there. Jesus answered, You say correctly, for I am a king. Watch. For this I have been born. For this I have come into the world. Why? To testify to the truth. What has he taught them? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. He's standing before Pilate. Pilate, and you know this, you would have no control unless you got the authority from my Father. This is all part of my plan. Why? To die for sin. We're going to see it again in chapter 19. Look at chapter 19, verse 10. That's where he says it to him. So Pilate said to him, You don't speak to me. Do you not know that I have authority to release you? And I have authority to crucify you? Jesus, don't you know who really is in control? You think so? Look at the next verse. Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greatest sin. He's not saying you're not guilty, Pilate. He's not saying Judas Iscariot isn't guilty, but he's saying I'm in still total control. This was all part of God's plan. So that by the time he comes to a very famous passage, chapter 19, turn there, verse 30 and 31, watch. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, and, sin, and I'm taking the time because we are going to progress now through his betrayal, through his arrest, through his trials, through his crucifixion. And if we lose sight of this, we've lost sight of everything that John's trying to teach. This whole point is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And when you come to verse 30, he says this. Therefore, when Jesus received the sour wine, it is Jesus that says what? What's the next three words in English? It is finished. The job is done. And then what happens? Look at verse 31. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, the rest of verse 30. He bowed his head. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Isn't that interesting? So we find throughout this account what we're going to be seeing, and I think it's so important that we understand as we go to chapter 18, as we go to chapter 19, as we are beginning to wind down the book, we have seen that he existed before the world began. We saw him entering in. We saw him teaching and instructing his disciples. We saw him recently praying. And now he's going forth, and we're about to enter into the betrayal, the arrest, the death, and all of this. This is not a victim. This is not a victim of a mob. This is not even a victim of the Jews. This is not a victim of the Roman Empire. 
This is God, Almighty God, the Messiah, with his eternal plan before the foundation of the world where his son would come in. Turn with me to one other passage outside of here so you can see it as clear as could be spelled out. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 23. I will go back to 22 so you understand exactly who we're talking about. Look at this message. Here's the first message that came out of the apostles after the Lord left this earth. Watch this. Powerful. By the way, this is the one that denies the Lord that's saying this. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, and I don't want you to mistake who it is, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God. Peter doesn't say, I showed you this. God has shown and demonstrated who this is. How did he do it? With miracles and wonders and signs. We have seen some of that in the account of John. There has been miracles. There has been signs that John has presented. Why? So that they would understand that this is the man, watch, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you know. They knew this. Then watch this powerful verse, verse 23. This one. Now I know the English says this man. This Jesus the Nazarene. This Jesus the one that was born in Nazareth who you know. Who you saw that the bread was enough and the fishes were enough to feed over 5,000. This one who at a public wedding changed water to wine, and it's well known. You who saw this woman at the well who was looking for water that would spring up to everlasting life and goes back and tells all her people that this man told her everything about her life. They came and heard him, and they said, we believe first because of you, but now we believe because we've heard it for ourselves. This man who has made a man who was born blind, and it's never been heard of, to be able to see so that even those who hated him would turn around and say, what are we going to do? We can't deny that the guy can see. We know that he couldn't see before. His parents are so frightened, they're running for the hills. They're denying their own son. He's old enough, ask him. Nobody can run away from this and escape this. They know. So in Acts chapter 2, when he says, this man delivered over by this man, they knew. It was in their midst, they knew. Now watch. Delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You say, well, then man's excused. No. Why? Listen carefully. For in the day that you disobey me, you will surely die. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Because, because of the fall of 
one man. Sin entered into the world and is passed to all men so that all men die. And everyone in this auditorium or in the sound of my voice that is breathing God's air will die. Why? Because all men are sinners. Well, the wages of sin is death. Yeah. But the gift of God is eternal life. God desires to give to man. He created man in the first place to live with him, to enjoy him, to get to know them. Does this sound familiar to what we've been studying in John's account? Eternal life is to know God. It's to know the one true living God, to enjoy him. It's been broken by sin. What's the remedy? God had it from the beginning. Death. Well, how's that going to take place? Pastor Chris referred to one of the passages that I have in my notes. The just for the unjust. We can't pay for it. We can't earn it. We can't be good enough. We can't go to church enough. We are rotten to the core. I'm rotten to the core, and so are you. Thanks very much, Pastor Dan. You just encouraged me. The good news and the reality, you can't walk in this world, I don't care who you know, friends, relatives, work, go anywhere you want and watch and you'll see sin just crop out. Oh, man does some good things to help people. Don't push that down, Christians. Even God used that. You know how to give good gifts to one another. You just did it at Christmas. You know how to help people. But basically, within the heart of man is wickedness, self-deception. And you see it coming out everywhere. So who's got to pay the penalty and price? The Christ. That's why God promised. And his predetermined plan was that I will enter into the world myself. And who is it? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The predetermined plan of God. And there is no excuse for man. Why? Look at the rest of the verse. He doesn't deny this. You nailed him to the cross. And by the hands, watch this, of godless men. Isn't that what the verse says? Yes, it is. And if you want to talk about godless, he's dealing with the people that were not under the law. He's dealing with the people that basically were not righteous. And he says, you did it, and you put him to death. But God was in it all. That's what John wants you to see. So as we move ahead, and I'm going to look at a couple other verses in just a second, but as we move ahead, and as I said, and it'll be next week, we'll take the time to look at a little bit of Gethsemane, because I think there's some things we want to learn from that. But Paul, I mean, sorry, John doesn't even mention it in any depth at all. Why? Because if we are looking as we move ahead, and you and I look ahead to John chapter 18 and John chapter 9, and all we see is the physical pain, if all we see is the injustice of man, if all we see is the circumstances that Jesus faced, even though the trials are going to be unjust, they are. And that's all we see. We've missed it. I want you and I to go through John chapter 18, John chapter 19, and be looking for the love of God. 
be looking at the cost of our salvation, being look at, looking for how obvious it is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Why? So that we would believe. And that's what we want to come to. I didn't get to the cup. We'll deal with it next week. But let me just turn you to a passage here. Let me go to Hebrews chapter 9. Let's turn there for a second before we close. So we've just dealt with the first part of chapter 18. That it was Jesus, and after he spoke these words, he was on a mission. And he's going to come to a garden. In Hebrews chapter 9, I want to read verses 27 and 28. In so much it is appointed for men to die once. Can I pause there for a second and give you a personal experience? I was shocked, but I want to share it with you. It just happened this past week. I was with an individual. I was actually with five people at the time. And I was dealing with a situation where it was a life and death situation for somebody. And by God's grace, was used to encourage that person and others and pray with that person and others. And then I was with these five people that were waiting outside of the room. And one man said to me, as I shared with that individual, that this person was ready if the Lord took the person home, that they would be in the presence of God. And that person really had the assurance, and I was so encouraged by it. And this person boldly said to me, I just want you to know I've been there twice. I said, really? Where? Heaven. Well, I'm glad I bumped into you. I said, can you tell me what it was like? Well, I don't remember. This, this, is, this is a conversation. I don't remember. You've been to heaven twice. I'm waiting to get there. And, and you can't tell me what it was like? Can you tell me how you got there? And the person explained it. The person said, first thing that I did was when I was in elementary school. I said, whoa, that's interesting. Said I was running around in the parking lot and bumped in head to head with a person. This is the true story. Head to head with a person, fell down, and I went unconscious, and, and, and people just thought I was gone. Do you remember any of it? No. I don't think you made it to heaven. What was the second one? Well, I had a heart attack. Oh, okay. And I was pronounced dead. Can you tell me what that was like? He said, I don't remember a thing. I said, then how do you know you got to heaven? Well, I was there. And what I was saying, I, I was absolutely astounded. I hadn't run across somebody who had ever been there twice. I've read stories about people once. This person was there twice. And, and that's sad to me because the person could not describe it, and I know that the person's never been there. And the point is, it's appointed unto men once to die, not twice, not three times, not four. You're going to face death once, so am I physically. But we have also been separated from God because of our sin. But I want you to see what it says after that. It says in the rest of the verse, and after this comes what? Peace, judgment. 
But look at verse 28. So Christ also having been offered once, that's why he had to die. Because the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life. He had to face death once. He offered himself once, not twice, not three times, not four times. This is what is set out in John chapter 18. Christ is going to the cross. Next week we'll be talking about the cup because that's what he refers to in the garden. And his focus is on that. And it is on that because he's going to excuse me, bear the sins of many. Will appear a second time. See that for salvation with reference to sin to those who eagerly wait for him. He's coming back. He's coming back. He faced death so that we could have life. He faced death as the innocent one, the one who knows sin. In Peter, we'll see that, Lord willing, next week. It says that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That's John's focus. Where are you today? This is now 2012. New year, praise the Lord. You're also older. For the younger people, praise the Lord, I'm getting older. Can't wait to get into college, can't wait to get my license, can't wait to get married, good, great. great. You know what, folks? We're that much older and closer to death. Pastor Dan, why do you always have to do that? <laughs> you know what? For the Christian, you know what that means? Joy. You know what that means? Presence of our Savior. No more me getting in the way. Never mind you. Right? That's what it means. We'll be with him for all eternity. But for those who don't have that joy, that's why when they go to bed, they don't know if they're getting up and they don't know what's going to happen if they do get up. John's presenting Jesus Christ so that people would realize that he's the Christ, the Son of God. My friend, I appeal to you only because of this. I care for your soul. And God's desire is that you come to believe that Jesus Christ, the one who's going to go forth, and we're going to look at those trials, and we're going to look how he really felt physically. But look beyond that. He's still in control because he's focused on pleasing his Father and satisfying the righteousness of God. And it required a perfect sacrifice, and he was the one. So that as many as will come and believe in him will have forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, and be with him in the true heaven. And I'm going to tell you something. When we get there, we'll know it. And we'll rejoice. If you haven't come to him, come to him today. We'll pick up the text, Lord willing, next week. We'll look at Gethsemane a little bit and then get back into John chapter 18. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for your love for us. We've just observed the communion service this morning. And there's no doubt in my mind that believers here today are so grateful for salvation. But Father, we lose focus. And even when we see the cross, we sometimes feel that pain, though we can't experience it, and just cringe. But help us to remember that it was greater, the cup that he bore in satisfying the holy God and bearing the penalty and price for sin. Father, we are so grateful that those who have come by faith through Jesus Christ 
know that he not only is in control, but that, Father, we have a wonderful, great Savior, that we have salvation because of what you've provided. And, Father, we do look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming back. And, Father, in the meantime, you've told us to occupy. You've told us to maintain the unity of the body of Christ and the bond of peace. Help us to do that, all of us. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to see the significance of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ so that others might come to Christ and might truly experience believing on the Savior and having the gift of eternal life. So, Father, we pray for those who don't know him, asking, Father, that as they hear the history of Jesus Christ or know the fact that he's existed, help them to realize the truth that is profoundly taught in the word of God, that he's the Christ, part of the predetermined plan of God, so that we could have eternal life and open up their understanding that they might come to believe. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing one song of praise to the Lord Jesus Christ, number 73.